Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are a Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is where you can get us. And, guys, what a huge week in the NFL we had. Lots of trades going on. The trade deadline was 4 o'clock on Tuesday, and teams made moves. Yeah, we're going to get into all that. We'll get into all of Week 9 here. I got to tell you, you know, we're looking at a a situation where the NFL, they are the epitome and the height and the absolute standard for all things entertainment and sports. I mean, we we know that. We, We know that. But they are getting to a point where the trading season is starting to become interesting. I mean, for years, I, I, I could say generations. I'm going back. I'm going to be my old man now. Yeah, here we go way back when. But for generations, it was only Major League Baseball, right? I mean, it was baseball, the trading deadline. But even recently, in the last uh, two decades or so, Major League Baseball, the trading deadline has gotten increasingly just insane. Just absolutely crazy where everyone's going everywhere. Everyone's buying into the younger players or the better players kind of concept. And we've watched that go crazy. In the NBA, we've seen a lot of trading, but most of the stuff was going on in the offseason. Same thing with the NHL. There's some trades. So it was Major League Baseball kind of head and shoulders above everybody else. The Major League Baseball trade deadline. It's a countdown. Everybody gets excited for it. But in the NFL, you ask the casual NFL fan, They have no idea when the trading deadline is. They didn't know it was before week nine. Um, I don't think many people have any idea the date, but they don't even know the week. I don't know if it's going to be like that anymore. We have watched big trades go on time and time again. Now, you could go back and you could mention Dallas and they, they, you know, the Charles Haley, the Deion Sanders, picking them up and taking teams from one thing to another and, and, and looking at big additions. I don't think any of these additions are kind of those kind of big additions, but I think that they could be difference makers. It's not going to shock me that some of these trades that happen at the trade deadline here all of a sudden turn around and you go, wow, that was the deal that put the team over the top. Or... Look, maybe in a year or two, wow, that was the deal that solidified this team. That was the deal that made them from a bottom dweller or or a bad team to all of a sudden they restocked their draft class, they restocked their system, and here we go. I think we had a lot of those trades go on. And we live in a world now where prop plays and fantasy is just taking control. I, I mean, you could walk into a sports book and you ask somebody, you know, what team do you have? And I, I don't have a team, right? I don't have a team. I just got prop plays. I, I do it myself sometimes, right? On a week, I don't like anything. Yeah, I got one or two plays. But I got huge prop plays going on, right? Um, What about fantasy? How many times do you walk in and you go, I, you know, who do you like on the game? Oh, it doesn't matter to me. I, I just need, uh, you know, Devontae Adams to score some points. I, I don't care what the team does. I just need Derrick Henry to score a touchdown. I mean, you see it happening more and more. So as this happens, people are going to be way more aware of the trading deadline and way more in tune with what is going on in the trading deadline because a lot of these players that are being moved are fantasy assets. A lot of them are being moved. All of a sudden, your your little antennas go up and you say, yeah, that could be used for future prop plays. That could be used, oh, let me put that on my radar. Um, But I also think that the draft and the draft capital – is something that is not understood by a lot of people. 
and let's go back to the big draft. I don't mean to go all the way back. I'm not going to go go way, way, way back. But let's go back to the conversation that we saw with Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey yielded what many people thought was was a steal, right? I mean, it, what are we talking about? It was a bunch of draft picks for a guy that most people consider one of the top three or four of the position. He was an absolute difference maker with San Francisco. Uh, in week one, he's a guy that they could use ridiculously. You put him with Shanahan. It's just one of those matches made in heaven type of things. But he didn't yield a huge return. We have to understand what draft capital is. Cam Akers, basically the Rams were asking for a fourth or a fifth rounder. People said no. No thanks. James Robinson went for a late round pick. James Robinson was a starter uh, for seven weeks in Jacksonville. Went for a late round pick. We have to understand what draft capital is. And draft capital is immense to some teams. To most teams, it's immense. Not only because of the type of player that you can get, but because of the discount that you could get them at. I mean, if you get a draft player there, you you can absolutely look at it and say, yeah, I'm able to look at a draft capital, a second-round pick or whatnot. He might play a tad less uh, on the field than the guy that we would be kind of moving him for. But I get to save $10 million or whatever the number might be. That's enormous. That is massive for teams. Remember, this isn't just, you know, your fantasy team or your boss where you're just sitting back. No, no, you have to answer to an owner, general manager. You have to answer to a capologist. A general manager even has to do that, check with the cap and everything else. So when we're talking about eventual trades, you have to understand the market. We in the fantasy community, we in the sports betting community, we in the fandom community, we overrate running backs. We overrate wide receivers. We overrate skill position players. Not many times do you see the average everyday water cooler fan talking about the defensive tackle that clogs up the middle because he has to be a two-on-one advantage. Well, he only got 36 tackles this year, but he went to the Pro Bowl. How? Not many times you're going to talk about Kyle Juszczyk, who is simply the best at his position year after year, goes to the Pro Bowl. Who is he? Well, he's the best fullback in the league, and he's on the San Francisco 49ers as a fullback. You're not going to hear a lot of that conversation. You're not going to hear a lot about the blocking tight end that does his job. You're not going to hear a lot about um, you know the in-the-dirt center that does his job. No, this is for the real knowledgeable NFL fans. So when we're talking about trades, understand that they're not all in a bubble. With that being said, we had a lot of fun trades go on. So let's look at the defensive side of the ball first. Um, We'll talk about the Bradley-Chubb deal. Look, Chubb is a really good edge rusher coming from Denver. And he, you can't say that he didn't, you know, that he lived up to expectations or whatnot because he was injured. But we know what he can be. And Chubb going to Miami is huge. The Miami Dolphins, whether you believe it or not, the Miami Dolphins believe this year that the Miami Dolphins can go to the Super Bowl. The Miami Dolphins believe that that's the kind of team they have. They believe in the playoffs with the speed on offense that they have, they can go. They think they have a number one corner in Xavier Howard. I agree with them. They like their new guys, uh, Holland, in the back end. They like Baker in the middle. They like a lot of what they're doing. Wilkins is kind of becoming that guy that he was from Clemson. So you look at the Miami Dolphins and they're going, we have a Super Bowl window. Why not go out there and get Chubb? Now, Chubb is going to cost a lot of money. So the Denver Broncos got what they could get. They know they're not going to re-sign him. They can't keep dumping money into the resources on the defensive side of the ball where that is clearly a, a need area. Uh, it's, it's clearly not a need area, and the offensive side needs some, some help. We know that. So Chubb was not going to be re-signed by Denver. Chubb may not be re-signed by Miami, but they're thinking, hey, he's a Super Bowl window type of guy. I think it's a good deal for both teams. I don't think that Denver should be holding on to assets right now and still hoping that they're a Super Bowl team when they can't even really get out of their way. If they are a Super Bowl-laden team, okay, you take away from your biggest strength, which is your defense, and maybe you could kind of fill it in. By the way, they wound up getting this kid Martin from the Jets later on in the day. He's been buried on the depth chart. That's kind of their filling. I think that Denver takes a small step back defensively, but I don't think Chubb is a massive difference maker in Denver's scheme. As far as him going to Miami, I do think he is. I think he is a pretty massive difference maker um, on the Miami Dolphins. I think that you look at who he can be with the Miami Dolphins, and all of a sudden, I think Miami does have a a window here. Do I believe that Miami Dolphins is a Super Bowl team? No, because the teams are just too 
just ridiculously good, right? I mean, they're just ridiculously good in that division, um, in that conference even, I should say. But do I think that Miami is a team that all of a sudden just got closer? I do. And if they're able to figure out under the cap, I think they're $18 million under the cap, he could be a long-term thing for them. Let's talk about what the Chicago Bears did because the Chicago Bears gave up two Pro Bowl players, two huge players. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Roquan Smith, it led the league in, in tackles. Roquan Smith is leading all of a sudden again. He looks like he's going to be on pace to lead the league in tackles again. Roquan Smith goes to the Baltimore Ravens. And Robert Quinn, who was second team All-Pro last year, Robert Quinn, great defensive end, he goes to Philadelphia. Right, here we go again. Two teams that believe that they have Super Bowl windows trading for defensive players. The... Baltimore Ravens absolutely believe that, and we know that the Eagles do. Eagles have the best record in football. Eagles are in a very weak NFC. The Eagles are looking at Robert Quinn, and they said, okay, we can give up a little bit for Robert Quinn. I know he's aging, no problem. He can get us over the hump. Philadelphia doesn't have a lot of defensive problems, but they like to rotate guys. Robert Quinn comes in here. I think this is a great, great deal for them. Robert Quinn comes in. He's still got a heavy motor. Last year, like I said, had a great season. And you look at Roquan Smith going to Baltimore. Huge deal for the Baltimore Ravens. Roquan Smith, but Patrick Queen is a good player, but Roquan Smith in the middle will make all of the tackles. Now, I I think he lost a little bit of a step, but I think it was an emotional time for him as well. You saw him crying at the podium with Robert Quinn. You kind of knew he was out of town. You kind of knew Robert Quinn was out of town. Well, he gets a new revised energy, and he gets to play for a team that is actually in contention for the first time since Alabama. Uh, he gets to play for a team in contention in the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens saw themselves having a need. We need a run stopper, and the Ravens have been brutalized on the run, especially against teams like Nick Chubb and the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, you could run on this Baltimore Ravens team. I don't know if you can anymore at Roquan Smith. He was one of my favorite players. I'm a Bears fan. I loved what he did out there. But on that same token, I love what the Bears did. The Bears now have two second-round picks. The Bears have two fourth-round picks. The Bears have two fifth-round picks. It's a complete blow-up. And the Bears take all of that money that they had in Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn, and they're going to be like $100 million to spend and go get themselves a left tackle. Go get themselves an offensive line. Go get themselves a number one receiver. And all of a sudden, you have something working there. I think it's a great testament to the Chicago Bears, Luke Getze, uh, Eber Flusen, everybody that's running the, the show in Chicago, that they recognize that even though Eberflus is a defensive coordinator, he knows he needs more money on offense. He knows he's going to need guys on offense. I love what they're doing. I don't expect them to bring back Montgomery. They'll go with a Herbert, and it, they should spend like crazy in the offseason. We'll see if they do, but I like the, this on paper. I love the fact that they're going to completely redraft, and they're going to have a stacked draft. Now let's look at the offensive side of the ball where the Bears actually went out there and made an offensive move. They got Chase Claypool. Now, I, I will say this before. I got, Let me step out in front before anything. I do not like, in any way, shape, or form, I do not like that the Bears gave up their second-round pick instead of the newly Baltimore second-round pick because that could be 20 picks apart. I mean, Baltimore uh, could go to the AFC Championship game and the Chicago Bears could finish in the top five worst teams in football. I mean, it, it, it is a massive pick. It's almost a first-rounder for Chase Claypool, a guy that only has one and a half years left on his contract. Now, that is uh, kind of finances and behind the scenes. I think Chase Claypool for the Bears fits perfectly. Claypool likes that area. Obviously, he went to school there. We know that. Claypool's a big-bodied guy. Fields needs that because Fields has a tendency to kind of, when he's scrambling around, to throw a little high. You're not going to overthrow Claypool. I don't think Claypool is the superstar. But all of a sudden, Mooney, who was a two, can be a two. Claypool can be a one. and eh, maybe not, but you could go spend on the wide receiver next year. Claypool is a two. Mooney has a three. Now you got a rotation going on. So I like the Bears being aggressive. I don't like what they gave up, but I like them being aggressive and saying, Basically, we traded Roquan Smith for Chase Claypool, plus we got draft picks, and you could live with that. Let's go to uh, Minnesota, where they get TJ Hawkinson from rival, and this is weird, a division rival in the Detroit Lions. Look, Detroit knew that the fifth-year option's coming up on Hawkinson, and they're not going to re-sign him. He's been a disaster considering where he was supposed to be. But then again, it's the Lions, and they sort of ruin everyone. Hawkinson comes into Minnesota. A lot of it has to do with Irv Smith missing 8 to 10 weeks. The Minnesota Vikings, again, look at this, and they say, we have a Super Bowl window. We are in first place in our division. Uh, Aaron Rodgers looks like he's completely out of sorts. The Bears are a mess in selling, and the Lions are the Lions. So, yeah, we could win this division, but not only can we win this division— Who's a threat in the NFC outside of Philadelphia? The Rams have all signs of problems. San Francisco can't seem to get healthy. Brady isn't looking great. Hey, 
you look at this and you go, give me Hawkinson. It's another pass catcher for uh, Cousins. It's somebody that in this offense you can utilize a lot like they utilized Higby. It makes a lot of sense. Hawkinson, I like the deal for both teams. I like the return. Get rid of him if you're Detroit. He's not helping you win this year. No problem. And then we go to the Miami Dolphins, which had all sorts of movement. I like that Miami's making these moves, okay? Miami, not only did they go get Chubb, they got rid of Chase Edmonds, who was sitting on the bench behind Mostert, just didn't fit their team. He's more of a pass catcher. He wasn't a guy that really fit their team. And they go out, and they traded him, got draft picks for him, and then later on went out and traded for Jeff Wilson from San Francisco. Now, Jeff Wilson's buried on the depth chart, and Mike Shanahan looks at this, and he goes, okay, well, oh or Kyle Shannon, I should say, looks at this and he says, well, no big deal. Don't worry about it. We have McCaffrey. We have Eli Mitchell coming back. We got a couple of rookies. Jeff Wilson was just kind of depth, even though he's looked good. But in Miami, he goes and he backs up a guy that he backed up in San Francisco and in in Mostert and a guy that has not been that healthy this year. Jeff Wilson can certainly fill in that gap and become that guy. You don't have a lot behind him on the depth chart. Mike McDaniels, who comes over from San Francisco, clearly knows Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson is a guy that you have no problem filling in here and there. You have no problem if he has to become the guy with Mostert. I think it's a great move by Miami to kind of get that backup. Let's talk about Hines and Moss because basically they switched teams. That game, Hines goes to Buffalo. All of a sudden, whoa, another weapon for them. And Moss goes to Indianapolis. Moss becomes kind of the immediate backup there in Indy. I, I understand what Indy's doing here. Look, we do we really need a pass-catching running back as we can get somebody like Moss. We got to uh, protect for Taylor. I understand what they did there, and I think that it's a good move. I, there's no move here. That happened at the trade deadline that I would say is an absolute, absolute A-plus move. There's no move that I think puts a team completely over the top. And there's no move here that I think is anything less than a C move. I think all of the teams improve. I like the Hawkinson to Minnesota move. It makes sense. I don't think it puts them over the top. I don't think Edmonds does. I think the Bradley Chubb move can be that move for Miami. But again, I would have to think that Miami is going to win the Super Bowl with that. No. I I love what the Bears did as far as draft capital, but I don't love it this year. I like it in two or three years. I think Baltimore getting Roquan Smith is as close to an A as you can get. I think Robert Quinn going to Philadelphia for nothing but draft picks is as close to an A as you're going to get. You look at uh, all the other moving parts. Everybody did really, really well. The teams that are looking to the future... I think really do have a bright future. I do think that the Chicago Bears revamped their entire team, and you go, wow, yeah, that that's a future to look forward to. The Lions got some draft capital. Indy got some draft capital. I like that. And the teams that are going for it certainly showed, yeah, we are going for it, man. We are swinging for the fences here with Roquan, with Quinn, uh, with, with, with Chubb. They are swinging for the fences. Even with a Hines and a Moss swap, they're swinging for the fences here, and I absolutely have to buy into that. Then there was one player left, a player that got traded that maybe you forgot about, and I think this could be the move of the trade deadline. No one's talking about it. I love the Quinn. I love the Smith. I love those moves. I love Chubb. Okay, could be the move of the deadline, and here's what it was. Calvin Ridley is now a Jacksonville Jaguar. Whoa. Here's where smart teams make smart decisions. And the Jacksonville Jaguars have not been a smart team forever. But this is a smart team making a smart decision with guys in the front office that are smart. Calvin Ridley for a draft pick. Look, you're praying and hoping that a first-round pick becomes what Calvin Ridley could be. Calvin Ridley obviously suspended by the NFL. We're not sure. But basically, it's a fifth or a sixth-round pick depending on when he could come back. More than likely, with the backlash that the NFL got, Calvin Ridley is going to be there opening day number one. The Jacksonville Jaguars just spent a ton of money on Christian Kirk. Early on in the season, it looked like money well spent. It doesn't look like it because Christian Kirk is really a number two receiver and really a slot guy. They don't have a number one guy. Well, their entire investment in their future of their team lies in what? Lies in their offense. Now, we love the defense, and I love what they've done defensively, and they drafted well defensively. But offensively, Trevor Lawrence is the face of their franchise for years to come. Travis Etienne, yeah, now he's the main guy at wide re- at running back. There you go. You got a Christian Kirk. Okay, excellent. We need a wide receiver. Well, we're not going to be able to draft a wide receiver this year, right? We're not going to be uh, in a top 10 more than likely. We're not going to go out there and try to develop another guy like a LaVista Christian 
that didn't work out. Oh, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to go spend like crazy on this guy uh, on a wide receiver because we have other need areas. We need offensive line. We need a tight end. We, we need some things. So what are we going to do? Well, you go get a Calvin Ridley, who is a true number one receiver when he's not betting on games. It's not like this guy's injured. It's not like he's coming back from anything more. And I know he had the, the head problems and, and the mental issues and whatnot. But he's not coming back from anything that you have to worry about physically. Gets a fresh start. Brand new start in Jacksonville. Brand new people surrounding him in Jacksonville. Brand new team surrounding him in Jacksonville. An enthusiasm in Jacksonville. I think this is an absolute tremendous, tremendous win by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And it could be the steal of the trading deadline. And nobody seems to be talking about it. All right, let's take a quick timeout. We will go over all the Week 9 games right after this on Wagering Week. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, guys, we're going to take a look back at what were the odds, really. The Bucks, Packers, and Rams, they were all favored to win their respective divisions before the season began. And now, each one of them have three wins after Week 8. The Rams were plus 135 to win the NFC West. Right now, yeah, they are a minus there. I mean, I, it has it it gotten crazy with what the Rams are, and they are in the best position here. The Packers are minus 180 to win the NFC North before the season began. They are right now plus money as well. And the Bucks, they were 3-1 to one to win the NFC South. They right now are about even money if you expect them to come back. Nobody's really grasped hold of it, but what a fall for all of them. That is, what are the odds? So, guys, I mean, look, you know, we're going to take a look at week nine here, and those teams are, they're in a bad way. Uh, you know, you look at, at week nine is, I, I guess this is kind of the new halfway point, right? Uh, week eight used to be it when he had 16 weeks, but now it's week nine. But I think you could still take an assessment of the teams at this point, right? I think we could kind of look at the teams at this point, and you are who you are. I mean, that's what it is. Let's take a look at the teams that are who they exactly are. And that's the Eagles right now. Take it on the Texans. It's going to be Thursday night. The Texans are a bad team. They came out of the gates. They looked okay. They're a bad team. And the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. You may not buy into them. You may not think that they could go win the Super Bowl. But it doesn't matter. They are the best team in the NFC. You look at the Eagles. They're 13 or 13 and a half point road favorites on a short week on Thursday. The Eagles are 1-2 against the spread on the road this season. So, against the spread, they're not doing so great on the road. The Texans' defense, they are the worst run-stop defense in the NFL. We watched what happened last week. I took the Titans. I gave everybody my free play, I believe, podcast network here for the Titans. I, I went crazy for it because I knew that Derrick Henry would go absolutely nuts. Well, not only did he go nuts, Malik Willis, Hilliard, everybody, they ran them for 314 yards on the ground. 
Now comes the Eagles, who love to run the ball as well. It's not only Sanders. It's not only Gainwell. It's not only Boston Scott when they try him. It's obviously, it's their quarterback with Jalen Hurts. Yes, they can throw the ball and get it out to A.J. Brown for multiple touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Yeah, they can absolutely throw the ball all over the field. But against the Texans, why would you even bother? You're just going to run the ball, which then makes me think, uh uh-oh, maybe this could play to a closer game than we think. If Pierce is able to have ground success, which he's had ground success against just about everybody, including uh, the the best teams that he's gone up against, and the Eagles are just going to run the ball, 13.5 starts to look a little rich for my blood, especially on a short week, especially against Lovey Smith, especially on the road. It starts to be a little too rich for my blood. I don't know if I could go into the Texans. Look, the Eagles are 7-0 against the spread in the first half. They'll jump out to a big lead. I think we know that. And Philly's 5-2 and against the spread overall. They've covered the three biggest lines of the season. I think we know that they are going to have a, a lead. But can you get backdoor here? Can it be a a, a blowout in the fashion of, uh, you know, 24-7 to and then they tack on a touchdown at the end is 24-17 uh, or 24-14, something like that? Yeah, maybe. I think it's Eagles or nothing. But for me... It's hard to take the Eagles in this spot. Chargers are coming off a bye week. Chargers are on the road. Chargers are three and a half point favorite over the Falcons. The home underdogs through week seven here are 24, 19, and two. And Atlanta is 4 0 against the spread at home. The Atlanta Falcons are just doing things that you are marveling at at this point. Marcus Mariota has looked like a, a real true quarterback. Maybe not the guy that we thought coming out of Oregon, but a true quarterback that you could rely upon. I don't think he's a franchise guy, but he, he's, he's doing good. And behind him, you have backups to back. Backups running the ball. Remember, Cordell Patterson wasn't even a running back. He's their starting running back. He's not in there. Algier is in there. They're doing this with smoke and mirrors, but with smoke and mirrors, they continue to keep winning. Their offense continues to keep rolling. Drake London stepping up. Last week, finally, Kyle Pitts is stepping up. You have guys in this system that are buying into the system, and it's a system play here if you're taking the Falcons. The Chargers are off of a bye week. The Chargers have all sorts of talent. There's no question in this game who's the more talented team. But the Chargers have had a just a, a lineage here of success where they just don't play up to what they're supposed to be, right? Justin Herbert last year set the world on fire. Everybody loved Justin Herbert. It was Justin Herbert's year. He didn't even make the playoffs. This year, there's no Keenan Allen. Well, he's dumping it off more than anybody else. He's dinking, he's dunking, he's getting over the middle. He's getting completions, but the reality is they're not getting any big plays. Now, Mike Williams is hurt. Keenan Allen isn't practicing. It might be the Austin Eckler show all over again, which it's been the Austin Eckler show seemingly time and time again anyway. I think that the Chargers are in a position where their talent eventually has to win out. This could be one of those games. They still have Derwin James, even though Bose is banged up. And I think the Chargers have yet to peak on the season. Maybe the bye week kind of helped fix things. Atlanta might be a little overrated here. The Chargers might be a little bit of a forgotten team. And people that get burned, they might be going, I'm not going back to the Chargers. You know, they already burned me. That could be a problem. Bills open up as a 13-point road division favorite against the Jets. It's always a dangerous spot. Double-digit favorites in the NFL are a dangerous spot. Double-digit road favorites in the NFL are a dangerous spot. Double-digit road favorites in division? Impossible to bet. You just can't go anywhere near this. And you look at the Bills, you go, how can you bet on this team? I mean, how can you? Well, this is the fourth time Buffalo's going to be a double-digit favorite this season. It's the first time it's happened on the road. Like I said, the Bills have now scored more touchdowns than they've punted this year. They have 13 touchdowns, right? <laughs> uh, well, they have 13 more touchdowns uh, than, than they have punched 24 to 11. That's unbelievable. The Bills, though, have some problems. The Bills were had to just three second-half points last week. Okay, maybe that's something to pay, pay attention to. And you look at what the Jets can do. The Jets have been clogging up the middle. The Jets have been big play defense. I don't buy into the New York Jets. I know that Robert Sala came out. He said, I will not bench Zach Wilson. Well, maybe you should start thinking about it because Wilson is uh, three touchdowns, five interceptions, and he's got completing under 55% of his passes. Yeah, that's a problem. Maybe you don't want to bench him, but you have to kind of take the ball out of his hand. And if you're coming from behind, which we assume that they're going to be coming from behind here, that is in a good situation. I do think that eventually Brees Hall's injury is going to come back to haunt this team. And I do think that Wilson needs to grow up and he's not quite there yet. But I do believe in this Jets defense. Look, this is one of those spots where I've said it before. I don't like laying double digits in the NFL, but every now and then you have a team that it's okay to bet double digits in the NFL, and it's okay to be that guy that bets double digits in the NFL. Well, 
The New England Patriots for years were a team that I didn't mind betting double digits in the NFL. Buffalo is kind of getting there, right? We knew coming into the season, um, basically, if they didn't win a game, uh, that was fine. But when they did win games, they blew teams out and they blew them out by double digits. This is nearly two touchdowns on the road in division, though. The Handicapper's Handbook says you take the Jets all day. I can't take the Jets, but I'm certainly hesitant to take the Buffalo Bills. Rams, Bucks. Bucks are now a three-point favorite against the Rams at home. Tampa Bay, what are, what are people seeing in Tampa Bay that should say this? Look, Tom Brady, he's now 3-5 and five for the first time in his NFL career as a starter. It's his first three-game losing streak in 20 years. Tom Brady's going through a divorce now. It was finalized in Florida this week. Tampa Bay has yet to cover as a home favorite in three games so far this year. Tampa Bay has scored more than 20 points one time this season. Tampa Bay is three and five. The Rams are three and five. Both teams under five hundred. They are combined four and twelve against the spread. I mean, what is there to like about the Tampa Bay Bucks here? Tom Brady's been playing fine. I, I did a YouTube video on this about Tom Brady and and Rodgers and Wilson. Tom Brady's playing fine, but this team simply has no running game. They cannot close out games. They cannot run the ball. And if you can't run the ball, especially against this Rams team with Bobby Wagner in the middle, it's going to be a problem. Now, I don't love the Rams either, and I've been harping on bashing the Rams all year long. Cooper Cup is now banged up. And I think that the Rams are are superstars and filling in need position guys. And when you watch the film, you can take advantage of it. Neither one of these teams can run. Okay, Cam Akers uh, is on the outs. Henderson isn't really the guy. Kyrie Williams, maybe he comes back and he's the guy. But it's really not that way. Van Jefferson returning certainly gives this team the potential of a boost. And you start to look at the Rams and you go, yeah, McVay got out-schemed by Shannon last week. That's fine. Is is this a spot, and this is to be as disparaging as you want it to be, but is this a spot that the Tampa Bay coaching staff can out-scheme against Sean McVay? I don't think so, especially with the other problem that Tampa Bay is having, and that's the defensive side of things. Defensively, Tampa Bay is just out of sorts. They can't play defense. They can't run the ball. There's no way I could lay points, even at home, not in this spot. Titans, Chiefs, this one's all the way up to an 11.5-point mark on the Titans this week, uh, getting 11.5 against the Chiefs. Chiefs are coming off of a bye week. We know it. Here we go. The conversation, Andy Reid, greatest coach in the history of coaches of all time, off of a bye week. You can't overstate it, guys. When Andy Reid has time, um, Andy Reid uh, is just amazing. I, Andy Reid has not been as amazing recently, right? We, we know that. We get it. Um, he hasn't been as dominant recently. But the genius of Andy Reid, and I do call him a genius, is that he is ridiculous off of a bye week, right? Going back to when he was a Philadelphia Eagles head coach, he is now 20-3 and three in the regular season after a bye week. That's 87% winning percentage after a bye week. It's best in NFL history, okay? You, you, you can't even uh, attempt to go against that. We know that, right? I, he, he's, he's unbelievable. But it's also at home. Reed's record off of a bye week, when he's at home, 12-1. and 12-1. and one. He's not losing this game, guys. Okay, and if you really want to turn around and you want to go and, and you know say, okay, well let's uh, you know, let, let's have the conversation here about Andy Reid and 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 this team about uh, you know what what's the best team to pick and you haven't used them in a survivor league? Of course, I am absolutely not stopping you. Are you kidding me? Jump all over them. Andy Reid's winning this game. They're winning this game, but I'm concerned about the massively large line. I'm concerned about a public that understands that Andy Reid off of bye week is ridiculous. I'm concerned that the Titans blew out the Chiefs last year 27-3 in this kind of spot. I'm concerned that the Titans all of a sudden are seemingly finding their defense, which I did believe they would eventually start finding this year once they kind of filled in for Landry. I thought all that was going to happen, and they're starting to find it. They're also starting to find that Derrick Henry is that guy. Again, now three straight games with 100 yards rushing. But Malik Willis isn't that guy. And Andy Reid, not only offensive, but defensively should have something going for Malik Willis. I just can't lay this huge number. In a game where I, I think that the Titans just run it all day and try to keep Mahomes off the field, which could frustrate them. Bengals, Panthers. Bengals are still an 8.5-point favorite after that miserable showing on Monday night. 
Oh, look, the underdogs are crushing it this year. We know that. And the Panthers, they're playing with something. I don't know what it is, but they're playing with something here, right? I mean, that's really what we have to say. The The Panthers are sitting back, and they play, they're playing close. After that, they had their huge blowout. Look, they almost beat the Rams. Then they beat Tampa Bay. Uh, they came real close against the Falcons. They're playing with some kind of pizzazz. Why? Well, they have a new head coach, right? They have a new quarterback. They have something working. Foreman could run the ball. Jeremy Chin is expected back on defense. Brian Burns, the, the rumors are that he was offered two first-round picks, and if Caroline turned that down, you're an idiot. But Brian Burns is good. This is a spot where the Panthers, I don't think they win outright, and I don't think that the Bengals look anything as badly as we watch them look, but I think that the Panthers can certainly play well in this spot. I'm taking the Panthers all day with the points in a spot like this because the Bengals can't protect Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow without Jamar Chase, yeah, that's going to be the conversation. The conversation should be that he's on pace to get sacked more than 70 times this year after being sacked by 51 times last year. They should have taken Penny Sewell. I'm going to end the conversation right there. Vikings, Commanders, well, the Vikings made a move this week uh, getting TJ Hawkinson. They are three-and-a-half-point road favorites over Washington. Washington, who's now all of a sudden playing well. Taylor Heineke maybe gave him a little jolt, whatever it might be. They're playing well. Look, the Vikings' record speaks for itself. The Vikings are the better team here. The Vikings should be the better team here. But Washington's playing with a little bit of something as well. They are playing well defensively, offensively. They're kind of just getting it done. The, everything says that the Vikings should win. But everything that says that the Vikings should have went to London and crushed them. Everything says that the Vikings should have crushed a lot of teams this year, and they haven't. That's reflective of the line, where it's only three and a half. Raiders, Jaguars. Raiders are about a one-point favorite on the road in Jacksonville, and people are finally jump, jumping off the Jacksonville bandwagon after their pathetic showing against Russell Wilson. And, and Trevor Lawrence looks broken out there, guys. Look, Travis Etienne ran for 156 yards. He looked absolutely fantastic, and Trevor Lawrence just looked bad. Another bad, ill-timed interception in the end zone. Another bad, ill-timed interception at the end of games. The Jacksonville Jaguars are a top-three team in the NFL, giving up points uh, and the scoring differential in the two minutes of both halves. Because they don't know how to close out games. They're a young team. They get themselves in problems against Houston. It was penalties. It was all kinds of stuff. Now you look at the Raiders. Raiders, after seven games in 2021, they were 5-2 and two in first place. They were, giving up, uh, they were scoring about 26 points per game, giving up about 24 points per game. After seven games in 2022, they're 2-5, flipped that record. They're scoring about three points less, and they're giving up about two points more than they were. They're a worse team than last year, guys. They're a worse team, and people continue to think that they're going to just evolve into this team. Josh Jacobs has been great. Darren Waller's been out. Devontae Adams did nothing last week. You could blame the flu all you want, but I think people are now starting to realize that maybe Derek Carr is not the full answer here. I don't blame Derek Carr. I blame more of a universal Raiders problem here, but it's certainly with Derek Carr as well. The Raiders offensively, they have their problems. Defensively, though, this was supposed to be Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. It was supposed to be Crosby and Jones running it all over the place, go crazy, hit the quarterback, cause the problems, and it was supposed to be that. Well, the Raiders last week had zero quarterback hits, only the second time in the past 12 seasons. That happened in 2016 against Kansas City was the last time that happened with them. That is a bad omen. You can't defend uh, the idea that they can't get after the quarterback. I, I mean, you just can't. You just can't. It's, it, it's just a bad situation when you put that much capital into your defense and you say that that's where they're going to be. They're going to be this great team. Yeah, and they're not. You know, they're, they're going to be a, a, a team that just gets after the quarterback. And they are not that team. You take away the identity of what the defense is. You take away the, what the problems in the defense is. It, it's a bad situation when you see a stat like that coming out there. Packers are three-point favorites on the road. Division rival against the Lions. Look, the Packers have owned the Lions. Packers have 42, 43, and one against a spread record, though. Go back, Going back to 1979. Lions play well with them, right? I mean, I'm not saying the Lions win, but the Lions play well. Lions do have the worst record in the NFL at 1-6, and, and nobody's really shocked, and they just traded their... Wide receiver, uh, wide receiver, uh, 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 okay, their tight end, <laughs> Hawkinson, and I did it on purpose and had a little fun, right? They just tra- traded him away. Why? 
Well, because they're so bad that you go, okay, we're already looking to next year. They fire their defensive backs coach during the week. I'm not sure if that really is going to make any difference at all. But the Lions defense has allowed 24 points in every single game this year and more than 30 in three of their last four home games. You expect Aaron Rodgers to come in and have all kinds of success, right? But the Packers defense is not good. The Packers defense, forget about the Aaron Rodgers situation, who he can't find a receiver. He's thrown for under 275 yards for 10 straight games. He looks bad. The Packers defense is not good. They ranked 31st against the run entering last week, and Devin Singletary ran for 50 yards in the first half against them. So now you have Swift. Now you have Jamal Williams. Yeah, it's 28th in rushing against 31st. I think that the Lions have a lot of ground success in this game. And I look at the Lions. Lions and I go, I get that there was enthusiasm before the year. A lot of that enthusiasm has kind of come off and it's it's not a good situation in Detroit. But these are the games that you could kind of get that program building, have people believe back into Dan Campbell. Firing their defensive backs coach is step one in making something happen here. Colts, Patriots, Colts are a six-point favorite now. Look, it's Sam Ellinger. He didn't look terrible last week, but he didn't look great. Alec Pierce came out and he said, we just got to do a better job. The defense has bailed us out all season. We got to start scoring at least 20 points. Yet yeah, you're right, Alec Pierce. The Colts right now, they're 0-4-1 with a negative turnover di- differential this season, but 3-0 when they get the turnovers. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now they go out there and they go, well, things are just not working. We got rid of Matt Ryan. Jonathan Taylor's getting his ankle taped up. Alec Pierce is somehow the second wide receiver. So they go out there and they fire offensive coordinator Marcus Brady. It's not his fault, guys. I mean, I, come on. Look, Frank Wright got the dreaded seal of approval this week. Um, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Jim Irsay said, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. But Jim Irsay was the guy that he said to go bench Matt Ryan. You think that this is the offensive coordinator's fault? The Colts are 19th in yards per game, 30th in points per game. Colts are 28th in expected points per game. It's not good, okay? It's just not good. Now, all of a sudden, you got Sam Ellinger, who just threw just uh, three of his 23 passes over 20 yards. Matt Ryan could not get it over 20 yards. He was a guy that was checked down, Matt Ryan. So maybe they want to get something going downfield. I don't know if Sam Ellinger is the future, but he certainly looks like he's in a bad position this week. Maybe he is the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to to the future. Okay, guys, let's go bet to the future. Bet to the future brings us the Stanley Cup odds. Colorado on top. Oh, they're plus four to one. Calgary is next at eight to one. Boston Bruins at nine to one. The Florida Panthers at ten to one. Same thing with Toronto and Carolina. Tampa Bay's fourteen to one. The Rangers are fifteen to one. Vegas comes in at sixteen to one. And the Oilers are eighteen to one. And that is bet to the future. Now the biggest moves here, Edmonton, um, not not a huge move. Everybody's sort of close. Big two big moves. Vegas is now sixteen to one. They opened up at twenty five to one. So that is a a pretty massive move. Toronto moved down from seven to one to ten to one. That's a small one. But the Bruins are up from twenty five to one to nine to one, and the Flames are off from fifteen to one to eight to one. If you are a uh, a hockey guy, I, I I'll tell you the truth. You know, before the year, I looked at this and. I liked Edmonton at 15 to 1. They're 18 to 1. I still kind of like them, but it was more of a long shot situation than anything. I, I, but I, look, I got money on them, so I'm okay with that. All right, let's go back into it. Week 9, we're getting into the nitty gritty here. We talked about quite a few teams, and now let's talk about the trade deadline teams. I mentioned it early on. The Dolphins were big, big, big movers. The Bears were big movers, and now they play off, uh, face off against each other. Dolphins are a three-point favorite against the Bears. You get, uh, you know, three and a half in some spots. I expect this to go up to like five, five and a half by the time game time kicks off, especially with the Roquan Smith news and everything else kind of dra- dropping as we go. Look, Chicago, what we're looking at with Chicago is whatever they're doing that people don't like, it's working, right? I mean, they have faced two of the top 10 defenses in the last two weeks, including one of the best defenses in the Dallas Cowboys that people thought were number one. They put up 29 and 33 points. I mean, that's what they've done. Justin Fields uh, put up 33 points and 390 yards in Monday's upset win against New England, right? The Bears um, have the number eight overall offense 
in EPA over the last two weeks. Whatever they're doing is working. Now, the Bears' defense, who just lost Roquan Smith, so they should get even worse. They gave up 49 to the Cowboys. They let up 442 yards of offense, right? That's that's not good, okay? That's not good. Miami's defense, on the other hand, not good either. They allowed 27 points, nearly 400 yards from Detroit. So that's not good either. The Dolphins' offense is good, though. 31 points, 476 yards. Um, Tua looked like he's more comfortable. Tua looks better. The best passer rating in the NFL on third down this season belongs to Tua. He's number one above Josh Allen, above Joe Burrow, and above Patrick Mahomes. I think that the Bears are competitive because of the style that they're playing. I do think that eventually the emotional toll on the Bears will take hold, especially on that defensive side of the ball. It just has to. And and forget about even emotional, just talent-wise, it just has to. Seahawks, Cardinals. Cardinals are a three-point favorite here. Seahawks just keep going out there and getting points week in and week out. Seattle, the only team in the NFL to rank in the top eight in defense for passing and rushing on both sides, offense, defense, over the past four weeks. They are just playing at a supreme level. The Cardinals, they've won only one of the last nine home games in this matchup. They're two and six and one against the spread. They have failed to cover by nearly 10 points a game. They just don't do well. Kirk Kingsbury, 9-15 and 15 against the spread as a favorite. He doesn't do well as a favorite. Pete Carroll, meanwhile, 45-28-3 against the spread as an underdog. 18-10 and 10 in the division. Geno Smith is kind of just that guy here. And you look at the Tyler Lockett comments come out, and he says, you know, it's amazing what we can accomplish, but no one cares who gets the credit. And everybody jumped on it. Oh, Lockett's talking. Oh, you know what he's doing? Oh, man, he's talking about Russ. Oh, yeah, he's talking about Russ. Yeah, there you go. There's some controversy. And nope, not in Seattle, not nowadays. Lockett says, hey, guys, you guys not tweeted this out. You need to stop reaching. I've said this quote like five or ten times since I've been in the league. Stop looking for a story and just enjoy our team. So even when there is controversy, even when there is a problem, even when there is the the head scratching, oh man, I can't believe he just said that, there isn't, (laughs) right? I mean, even when there is, they go out of their way to make sure that it will not be a problem. Uh, Everything that you look at at the Seattle team, you've just got to like. You've got to like the offense. You've got to like the running game. You've got to like the passing game. I know that Metcalf was questionable. Didn't matter. Metcalf played. Lockett plays. Godwin, uh, Goodwin looks good. They have everything working. And Walker, by the way, has just been absolutely fantastic. And Geno Smith is leading the charge. All of it starts with the offensive line that we talked about. So you look at this Arizona team. Arizona is that dangerous team because of their talent level. And they're getting healthier. I'm not saying that they're not. James Conner may be back. It's possible. You know, Benjamin didn't do anything last week. But you start to look at this and you go, are they just DeAndre Hopkins? Because Hopkins, the last two weeks, has just looked absolutely unstoppable. But who's the secondary guy? Is it Zach Ertz? Is it an Eno Benjamin? Is it James Conner? Or is it Kyler Murray with his feet, which we just not have seen a lot of? Look, the implied total here is 49 and a half. That right there should tell you they expect a shootout. But Seattle's defense looked great last week. Seattle's defense has looked great for a month. I know that it's not fashionable to buy into the hot team, but they are getting no respect from the odds makers, and I think that Seattle is just flat out the better team here. Better coach, better team, dare I say better quarterback right now? Uh, certainly better defense. Uh, I don't know why they're not getting any any credit or any respect. I took them last week. I'll take them again. Ravens, Saints, Monday Night Football. Ravens are a three-point favorite. For whatever reason, and I've said this week in and week out, The Saints are perfectly fine on offense. They've lost Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry, Kamara missed some time. Uh, They're doing it back there with Andy Dalton instead of Jameis Winston. And Taysom Hill is playing a major role. But offensively, they rank inside the top 10 this year. Somehow or another, they're getting this done offensively. Defensively, the Ravens, they're a mess. They are not good. They're 28th in EPA allowed per play on the year. The Ravens are not good defensively at all. Now, here's the thing with this game. You do expect some scoring from the Saints, but I expect plenty of scoring as well. The Saints, who are usually a good defensive team, they rank 14th overall in the NFL. That's right in the middle of the pack, right in the middle of the league defensively as well. So I think both teams will have a lot to go on. Mark Andrews' injury does worry me for the Ravens. Look, they're trying to run with Duvernay because they don't believe in Kenyon Drake. They don't believe in Gus Edwards. They don't believe in their running game outside of Lamar Jackson. And isn't this the same old story? It's Lamar Jackson, and then who else is going to step up? Well, it had been Mark Andrews, and after Mark Andrews goes down, he's had a terrible couple of weeks. Let's be honest, Mark Andrews is not having a good season outside of one or two games. 
And now it becomes the Lamar Jackson show on offense. But defensively is where I'm worried about the Ravens. Does Roquan Smith walk in and fix all of their problems? No, he doesn't. But I think what can walk in and fix most of their problems is that the Ravens will not have played a game in 11 days. Jim Harbaugh, is, I'm sorry, John Harbaugh is one of these guys that you look at and you go, he is great. He's not Andy Reid with time off. Okay, but he's great with time off. He's great off of bye weeks. He is that kind of guy. Now, he doesn't have an official bye week, but he hasn't played a game in 11 days. That is enough time to sort of come up with a game plan to beat a Saints team that is simply undermanned right now. It's enough time to come up and go out there and beat up on a Saints team that we don't know. If Michael Thomas comes back, how effective is he going to be missing all this time? If Landry comes back, how effective was he before he even went down? Olave, you could still see as a little hampered out there. Now, Alvin Kamara went out there and scored three touchdowns, and he was absolutely fantastic. But you look at everybody else, and you go, yeah, I don't know what what, what I'm going to get. You Basically, you stop Taysom Hill. Maybe you stop this offense. I think you got to go Ravens or nothing here. But it is a concerning thing that the Ravens defensively are playing so poorly. All right, guys, one quick note before we leave here. Um, Before I talk to you next week, college basketball season is going to tip off. The college basketball season, as you know, is a huge moneymaker when you're able to take advantage of certain things. Just my quick take on the major conferences. I, I love the smaller conferences, so I hope that we get well into that. I'm an Ivy League guy. You guys know that. I have uh, you know my, my Ivy League podcast out there, Believe in the Ivy League, if you want to check that out. I love the smaller conferences. Max Asmus, I knew him before anybody else did, and Oral Roberts, all right? I mean, I, I like the smaller conferences, but let's talk about the big conferences. In the Pac-12, I'm not looking at anybody as, as an overly uh, speculative team that, oh, I think they're going to do a lot of damage. I guess it's Oregon. I don't really believe in Arizona. I'm not really looking at that as being the conference of conferences. And the Big Ten, sort of the same thing. I think the Big Ten is the first time um, uh, now now we're going on what, 13 years since they have a a championship but it's the first time in a long time that they don't even have a top 10 team so I don't see them being the team. It's kind of looking at it where it's the ACC it's the Big East, it's the SEC and it's the Big 12. The SEC has a lot of potential teams. I mean a lot of potential teams that could get into this thing and now everyone's kind of jumping on the the Big East and saying yeah they, they have some too. I think Creighton's certainly a team, and I think they're kind of the fashionable team. I like them. I do like them going pretty far. The SEC, look, this is a league where I think they're going to knock each other off, and they performed so poorly last year in March that it's hard to really talk about them as being a real contender. So that leaves us with the ACC and the Big 12. The ACC is massively top-heavy. It would not shock me to see North Carolina being back in this thing. It wouldn't shock me seeing Virginia being back in this thing. But after that, their league kind of falls off a little bit. We don't know what we're going to get from Duke. I think Florida State's due for a down year. So I'm not loving them. That brings us to the Big 12. And the Big 12 is by far the deepest league. I mean, by far. You, you can make an argument five or six of these teams could win the championship. I think it's very hard to repeat Kansas is a team that I I like what they're bringing back, but it's hard to repeat in any sport, specifically in college basketball. Maybe Baylor's the team. Right now, I like Creighton because of the odds. I don't love anybody else, but we'll get more into college basketball as the year goes on, and we'll get more into college basketball week after week. I know we try to concentrate on on football here and the NFL specifically, and that's what we will concentrate on for a little while here, but we will eventually get into it, guys. We're going to get into the college basketball slate, so I wanted to just kind of touch on that. All right, guys, I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.